Today's episode of The Ship We Shay is recorded on Gadigal land. We acknowledge and pay respects to the traditional custodians of the land, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. This land always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Hi everyone, welcome to the latest episode of the podcast The Ship With Shay. I'm Shay Candish, General Secretary of the New South Wales Nurses and Midwives Association and the host of this show. Today, I'm joined by fellow nurse, China Lawrence. China's love of nursing evolved when she spent time volunteering in Mexico and Guatemala. China works as a child and family health nurse in Sydney. Welcome to the show. Thanks. So it sounds like you've had a pretty interesting career, a bit of international work. Um, can you take me through kind of how you've evolved um, to where you are now and um, what it is that kind of made you love child and family health nursing? Yeah, so um, I actually studied Bachelor of Nursing, Bachelor of Arts in International Studies. So that's what helped me travel. And for the International Studies part, I spent a year in Mexico. And um, when I was in Mexico, I did some traveling and went down to Guatemala and I just loved it there. So after um, I graduated, we, my husband and I went back there and we did some volunteer work in in Guatemala. And it, I think that's probably where I started that idea of ending up here as a child and family health nurse, because that was basically what I was doing down there. Um, and yeah. it was, yeah, it was amazing. But really I started nursing as a paediatric nurse. When, when I graduated, I did my yeah, okay. new grad at, a, at Sydney. Kids so talk to me about Mexico and Guatemala. Like why, why there? What was it that drew you to go and obviously you'd done a bit of travel there, but sounds yeah. like you have a bit of a passion for that area maybe. Yeah, um, I just, I love the Spanish language and that was one of the choices for learning Spanish. And um, then, yeah, that was mainly my main, we, we got a few choices if you were going to learn Spanish for international studies and Mexico just sounded amazing. And it was, it was an incredible year. I only spent a few weeks in Guatemala when we were in Mexico, but that just the culture there and what um, that population has been through in their recent history, I just found amazing how their strength and their struggle. And yeah, my, we just, my husband and I loved it. So yeah, it was amazing. We went back there and we wanted to spend quite a long time there, but I got quite sick and had to come home. So really initially I wanted to do aid work that's why I chose nursing but my health didn't allow me to do that so I came back and have been in Sydney ever since <laughs> oh that's a shame yeah. maybe you'll get a chance yeah. um so take me through you were saying you you kind of specialized um into peds pretty quickly I'm guessing from yeah. the way you were talking about that early so yeah. take me through what what your kind of thinking was around why peds and um how you know the kind of combination of your love for the Spanish language and I'm assuming your love for kids come together yeah so I think what drew me to um do my new grad year or apply for a new grad year in paediatrics was just the um as a student I was so supported there and that was amazing because you know as we all know <laughs> our student placements can be quite challenging at times and I thought no this is the place where I'm going to be most supported 
and it really it was incredible um, the support was really good so then when I went into it I realized that actually that's what I've always wanted to do and I ended up being a pediatric nurse, nurse and working there for about 15 years but I had three kids in that time so a bit of maternity leave um, and and I think while, while whilst I was there I think I just obviously realized that um, there was more to what I wanted to do in nursing and really that acute care probably was, it didn't suit me as well as another specialty. And really when I think about it, I don't think I knew much about child and family health as a student. I definitely didn't do a placement in child and family health. Um, I did community nursing and I did midwifery, but not child and family health. So I do feel like it's a bit of a invisible specialty within nursing in some ways. So, yeah. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Uh, I think it's really interesting, you know, obviously having been a nurse for a while, my first real insights around child and family health wasn't until I had kids myself. And you yeah. see kind of how critical that service is um, when you're a new mum or first-time mum. So, yeah, really interesting. So tell me a bit about um, the type of work you were doing when you were in Mexico and Guatemala. Was it kind of child and family type work? or was it more acute type work? What, what sort of things were you doing? Yeah, so in Mexico, really, I was just a nursing student. I didn't, I did, we did some projects and um, I went into some aged care facilities, um, but I didn't do any nursing in Mexico. I was, but you know, it was fascinating looking at the nursing degree there. Um, and then when we went to Guatemala, we worked at a little non-government organization it's actually led by women or, you know, it is, it's a pretty amazing little organisation um, and they just recognise the need in the area. There's a huge Indigenous population there that basically have no access to healthcare. Um, and so it was really that full sort of preventative primary healthcare. We would um, travel out to the little communities or the um the rural communities, they would come mainly in school groups. So the little, the kids that were attending school would come in their school groups and they you know, would just do a full assessment on them. A lot of it was dental care and, you know, treatment for parasites and, and a lot of education just about brushing your teeth and um, boiling your water. And they didn't have access to electricity or running water or anything like that. So it was just the most sort of basic care there and education makes us feel very lucky here <laughs> what we have access to. We certainly are very privileged, aren't we? Yeah. When you can kind of compare and see the difference for sure. So I guess let's fast forward to where you're sort of um, working and, you know, spending your time in child and family health these days. Um, for people who haven't had much of an interaction with your service and, you know, as you mentioned, it's kind of the silent or, or kind of unknown um, specialty in nursing sometimes. Take us through a bit of what your average day looks like. Yeah, so we work in the community. We work with zero to five-year-olds. Um, and I suppose the most well-known part of our job is we often do the home visits for the new mums with their new babies in their homes in that first few weeks when they get back. And so a lot of our work is um, helping um, parents transition to parenthood and helping with breastfeeding and normalising all of that new newborn behaviour. But 
another big chunk of it is just the uh, is the developmental checkups and um, and scre developmental screenings. So supporting all of the infants and toddlers, that idea that we're helping them to pick up any vulnerabilities before they start school. Great. And so um, take us through what it was like to do that kind of work in COVID. Yes, it was very challenging. I feel very sorry for the parents that had their babies in the COVID period. Um, it was very challenging for us as well. So we basically really had to quickly pivot onto telehealth, which is a very challenging thing to do with newborns and, you know, providing breastfeeding support and, um, and parents. So they were having their home visit via telehealth a lot of the time. Um, if we were worried, we would, um, go into their homes for 10, 15 minutes max. And um, they were uh, they were doing their new parent groups, you know, traditionally known as mother's groups online as well, which was pretty horrible. And it's really interesting now seeing a lot of those parents now having their second child and them understanding the service as it now is, which is, hope, you know, more back to normal. And um, re like, there's a, it's amazing. There really is a lot of trauma there because they also had a very different birth experience. So it's the experience of their pregnancy and their birth and then, and then our service. And our service was very much reduced. So we really did have to focus on the naught to one-year-olds. So now we're seeing, you know, a lot of toddlers with, missed you know they we didn't pick up their vulnerabilities because we just didn't see them so it was very different that's really tough yeah so are we you know is there an approach now to try and engage more with parents of toddler sized kids toddler age children or like are we doing other things to try and um you know i suppose overcome some of the challenges that have been um, presented because of the lockdowns and the difficulty and the restrictions around access to service yeah wouldn't it be amazing i think we definitely need a big injection of funds into this area yeah. we're seeing huge wait lists now like you know eight nine ten twelve months to get into a pediatrician um, I mean, the wait lists were always really long, but it's really blown out. And I think like my husband's a, a teacher at school. He's a kindergarten teacher. They're saying they're seeing, you know, more kids turn up with vulnerabilities that well, with developmental delays that just haven't been diagnosed at all. Mm, um, mm. And yeah, there really does need to be a focus on this area because it doesn't, it feels what we're noticing is that our appointments are a lot longer because they're mm. more complex, there's more vulnerabilities, there's, um, it, it is, you know, and then we've got um, the finance, you know, people's finances, people are really struggling with that as well. There's so many compounding factors. So while, by having longer appointments, um, then we're seeing less clients and also our um, service is, it's really hard to, um, there's a lot of vacancies. It's really hard to employ child and family health nurses. It's such a, you know, small 
specialized area yeah yeah yeah. well for people that want to kind of get involved take us a bit through what it takes to become a child and family health nurse because i think it's an opportunity to give the specialty a bit of a plug too right yeah definitely yeah so um a lot of the nurses are so you you need to be a registered nurse and you need to have post um post-grad qualifications in child and family health nursing Um, Many of the nurses are also midwives. We used to have to be a midwife as well as a registered nurse, but now we don't. Um, Some states you do still need to be. And so, yeah, the main thing once you're a registered nurse is getting that post-grad qualification. Um, But a lot of the nurses come from midwifery. They come from paediatric nursing. They might have a background in mental health nursing as well. So, yeah. Yeah. That is the way to get into our service. I think also just um, there is a push to have direct entry midwives, but that is, you know, one of those really challenging areas where most people would imagine that you really do need to have that qualification of registered nursing and having some experience as a registered nurse to be in this area because once you're working in it, it's a very independent setting you know you're in Mm. people's homes by yourself and that's I found that transition quite challenging people who know me from my pediatric days I ask lots of questions I loved the teamwork in pediatrics I loved grabbing another nurse and saying what about this so you know um, the transition to it the orientation period really needs to be very thorough so that when you are going out into people's homes or they're in your clinic room, you know, you, you have those skills and experience to know what to do. So just on uh, when you were saying, you know, that kind of um, autonomy, I suppose with some component of that might also come a bit of isolation. Have you found that at all? Is it, you know, how do you build the camaraderie um, that you would often have in a whole lot of other acute settings um, when you're in a a different kind of clinic setting or, you know, doing um, home visits, for example? Yeah, it is really different. Um, I mean, there would be occasions where you're almost in the clinic alone. That's not really allowed, but obviously things like that happen. Um, And, you know, we're spread out everywhere. Um, in my LHD, there'd be about 100 child and family health nurses spread out across, you know, 15, 20 clinics. And, and I think, yeah, I think you have a very small team. You might have, you know, a few nurses in your clinic. Um, but it has been amazing for me. I mean, I love child and family health and I just, I work with the most amazing nurses and some of them have been doing it for 30 years and we are really lucky um, we've got clinical supervision we've got time to have case reviews and all of that is just absolutely fundamental for our work um, and I think a lot of that you know is at risk at times we really have to fight for that um, and but it is incredible to have that and I think you know all nurses need that I definitely would have needed it in pediatric nursing I don't even remember knowing about it before I came into child and family health nursing um so I think yeah where it is about the team um I I did casual nursing for a long time and yeah coming from that it's been lovely working in a team and being able you know to come back from a home visit and bounce off some questions or concerns and 
we yeah that's been that's the best part of child and family health that I do have an amazing team that I work with and I think um it's that culture you know in any setting don't you you just have you really want that lovely culture between your team it also um you know in my kind of limited observations uh seems like child and family health nurses are really good at being very deliberate about that collaboration that they do so whether it's over case conferences or you know breastfeeding clinics or whatever kind of shared work you have um it's really interesting to observe because it does feel like yes they do have the time but they also really prioritize the time like you said and obviously fight for it when they need to as well to make sure that they've got it yeah and there have been quite a few um bureaucracy thing you know some risks at to our service at the moment and i think that um well, that's, you know, our branch, for example, we have a, a, a child and family health nursing branch in our area. And that's, you know, been really helpful to build up those um, that support with each other and work out how we do fight for those things. Um, because I, I think we do notice that we have certain qualifications that we do have to do that one of them is family partnership training. And that's incredible. And I think that does help us then to go, OK, what? how do we work together, you know, because when you are in a room with um, a parent and some parents have so many vulnerabilities and a lot of our work is in mental health, you know, so there's so many um, skills that you have to develop over, over the years and having those skills then is really amazing when you then work in a team and everyone has those skills and, you know, you do, you need to really use them to be able to fight for what we need for our service. Absolutely. And I feel like kind of circling all the way back to our conversation about COVID, you can see what happens when services are reduced and parents, you know, almost just don't know any difference. So they just get on with it, which is why it's so critical, I think, for us as clinicians that we're able to really hold the line and say this level of service actually cannot be diminished. You know, obviously we're in a pandemic, so it's different um, than sort of business as usual. But um, the 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 risk, I think, is parents don't even know what they'll lose if it's not maintained. Um, but what they'll have consequently is potentially an outcome that they're not very happy with, um, which I think talks to some of the experiences you were saying that parents have had and that you're hearing about now when they're having their second children. Yeah, and our service was reduced in the way many of us were sent to the Shahs and obviously, you know, they needed nurses in other areas to help with the COVID response. But it's incredible because I work with nurses that have been there for, you know, 20, 30 years. So they know, you know, they know the bad times and the good times. They know how the service really should run and how it runs really effectively. And um, it's amazing now that we're saying, you know, we need to have this back. We need to have some sort of accountability. And we know the evidence tells us that home visits are crucial to be able to, that's your first point of contact with a family. And, you know, you're telling them all about your service. 99% of them never heard of us before, you know, often call us the midwife. And, um, and to the fact that we're going to be there for that first five years of their child's life and those, you know, picking up vulnerabilities, developmental vulnerabilities, supporting with breastfeeding. I mean, that has huge outcomes later in life to keep people out of hospital, out of other areas of the healthcare system. And yeah, that first home visit is so crucial to 
to so many families and if they don't get it sometimes they will never come into the clinic to see us so yeah very concerning for sure i think it um talks to so much of the healthcare system that needs to be invested in right um but it's great to hear that you and your branch are sort of coming together to work through some of this now as well and i guess post covid with all of those um long waiting lists you were talking about it would be nice if we could see sort of a swing back into action much more quickly, like we've seen in lots of other areas across, you know, workforce and economies, um, because you don't want this sort of long lag time when the impacts can be so significant to, um, you know, not picking up those vulnerabilities that you've spoken to. Yeah, yeah. And it's amazing, you know, the evidence is there that we need to get in early. And what I'm finding is... Um, quite the morale is lower amongst our team because we might then refer a client and then they are still waiting next time we see them for their next developmental check six months later. And I feel that I'm hearing a lot of nurses almost holding clients, being with them, but they we're not specialised to be diagnosed. You know, we don't have those skills. We, we need the whole team. We need the the allied health staff, we need the paediatricians, we need everyone there because otherwise what's the point of the system if you've got no mm. backup? So, yeah. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Well, lots more to um, be fighting for, I think, and to see that we get investment into all of these areas. Um, you're not the only one calling for investment, <laughs> yes. that's for sure. We need to see it in lots of places. Are you a leader in your workplace? Passionate about social justice issues? Apply for the Ros Norman Scholarship. The scholarship covers up to $5,000 for promoting activism, developing campaign skills and public advocacy. Whether you're passionate about climate justice, women's rights, LGBTQIA rights or trade unionism, the Ros Norman Scholarship will help develop your advocacy and leadership skills. Apply now at newsouthwalesnma.asn.au forward slash Ros Norman Scholarship. Applications close 30th of September. Check website for terms and conditions. Uh, so, China, can you take me through um, any thoughts you might have about um, any nursing students that might want to go and embark on an international nursing career? Yeah, so I suppose I did, you know, I found that international studies an amazing part of my degree. I think um, traveling really helped me uh, really for the work that I did we just landed in Guatemala and found an amazing organization I know back then we didn't have um, <laughs> Google as much as we have now so um, but I think just for me um, visiting other cultures I did a lot of um, travel before that as before Mexico as well um, and and just chatting to other people and finding out about it. I think I was um, I, I was really interested in, in travel from a very young age. And I after nursing, I also did a Master's of Social Development. And that, I think, led me towards Child and Family Health too, because it's all about social justice and health and human rights. And um, I think looking into other avenues for for research or for study can really help you as well. Is there anything that we haven't covered that you want to make sure we cover off? I think what I would like to just put out there is that um, 
we're really lucky that we have a really um, active child and family health nursing branch, but there really is another child and family health nursing branches in New South Wales. So it would be great if um, other child and family health nurses out there can, um, you know, contact the union and, and ask about it. You don't need many of your members to form a branch to be then, you know, because then you can disseminate information amongst your, your team, really. So if there's a few of you together and, and contact, you know, and we've also got, a, we've set up a statewide child and family health nursing reference group as well. So that is brand new and we haven't even had our first meeting yet. So it would be great, I think, because the future of our workforce is very uncertain at the moment. And we all know we have a very aging workforce and we need, um, we need more child and family health nurses to come into the sector so we can keep doing what we do. Yeah. Great plug. Couldn't say it better myself. Um, and for anyone that might be even just interested, get in touch with your organiser or contact us at the association and we can um, connect you. Uh, the reference groups and the statewide specialty groups, I think, have become really critical in helping us to understand, um, you know, new policy positions, new lobbying directions, um, things that we want to call the government to kind of look into or to fund or to support. Um, and so the combination of local branches where people can kind of um, participate in the democracy, but also those big statewide branches where we can really think about best practice and maybe the changes that we want to see um, is really, uh, I, I think, the direction that you know, we're hoping to kind of move through in this union. So we'd encourage people to be part of that wherever possible. Absolutely. So as we wrap up, I'd love for you to take me through a bit of a reflective kind of um, analysis of what you think the biggest challenges and the biggest rewards of your career have been so far. Um, for challenges, I think I um, sometimes I get really, really frustrated with the health system. I just, it gets me really down. And um my, well, my sister went into nursing later in life and she really wanted to work in the rural setting. She um, did her new grad year on the first year of COVID and she or has already burnt out. She had a horrible experience in nursing, really, um, really dangerous conditions. I mean, it, the things that she would tell me about, you, you, you just... You, you just wouldn't believe. And she would tell me, you know, she was crying coming home from work every day, just having to go back in. And we know that we know that nurses in that those first few years can get really burnt out. So hearing like seeing her story, that really frustrates me that we like she is an amazing nurse and that we've lost her already really, really, really impact on me and thinks, well, you know, what can we do? Um, and I think for, um, rewarding, it's just like when you do find your team, you know, you find your team who's just incredible and they support each other and you have those really challenging days and you feel like you're fighting the system and you want the best for your clients. And when you have that backup, it's just the best, you know? Yeah. 
I think we've all been in those moments, the absolute frustration I totally share with you, but also the camaraderie. Like there are a few professions, I think, yeah. that understand teamwork the way that nursing and midwives um, really do. So uh, totally hear, hear, as you yeah. say, all of that. <laughs> I really share those experiences. Thank you for sharing that. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for chatting with me today. It's been wonderful uh, and really kind of digging in to understand um, your experiences and particularly your world of child and family health nursing, which has been lovely to hear about. So thank you for chatting with me. Thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, China. Okay. I really appreciate your time. Applications are now open for the Edith Cavill Scholarship. The Edith Cavill Scholarship provides funding for nurses, midwives and students to undertake accredited nursing or midwifery studies. Applications close 31st of July. Please see website for terms and conditions. That's it for this episode of The Shift with Shay. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with China and I look forward to being able to share more stories with you from the world of nursing and midwifery. If you enjoyed my chat with China, please make sure you subscribe to The Shift with Shay wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. It helps others to find the podcast. Have you got a story to share with us? Let us know by emailing us at theshiftpodcast at nswnma.asn.au.